Blog Talk Radio. This is our common ground, alternative activists, empowerment, talk radio, speaking truth to our and ourselves. Who are you? You don't know. Don't tell me Negro, that's nothing. What were you before the white man named you a Negro? And where were you? And what did you have? What was yours? What language did you speak then? I am a revolutionary. It's about what we didn't do. Amen. Then it speaks to us and the possibility for us as a future person. Because ultimately, our people's future resides on what we do outside of the White House. African descent fairly, America failed. Put them in the lowest paying jobs. Put them outside the equal protection of the law. Kept them out of their racist bastions of higher education and locked them into positions of hopelessness and helplessness. The government gives them the drugs, builds bigger prisons, passes a three-strike law, and then wants us to sing God Bless America. No, no, no. Not God bless America. God. Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. Our Common Ground. Speaking truth to power and ourselves. Our common ground, a higher ground for discourse, discussion, solutions, and ideas. I'm Janice Graham, and I'll be listening for you. Talk, talk, that matters. Transforming truth truth to power. One broadcast at a time. And now to Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. Darnos por vencido. Renunciar a la revolución. Renunciar al socialismo. Rendirnos. Fidel Castro was the world's longest serving dictator. Although the United States often tried to get rid of him, in the end, Fidel Castro outlasted nine American presidents. He was a constant irritant to them, a communist leader right on their doorstep. Castro was determined to overthrow the American-backed Batista regime, which happily profited from the corruption and gross inequality of a haven for the playboy rich dominated by organized crime. So Castro and his band of revolutionaries masterminded a classic guerrilla campaign from their mountain base. On January the 2nd, 1959, the rebel army entered Havana. Castro had triumphed, Batista had fled, and Cuba had a new government, with the legendary Che Guevara among its members. Its promise to give the land back to the people and defend the rights of the poor. Soon afterwards, Castro went to America, saying he wanted to be friends with his powerful neighbor, but he felt rejected when President Eisenhower wouldn't see him. Snubbed by the Americans, Castro claimed he was driven into the arms of the Soviet Union and its leader, Nikita Khrushchev. Cuba had now become a Cold War battleground. 
April 1961, the Bay of Pigs. This was America's doomed attempt to topple Castro by recruiting a private army of Cuban exiles to invade the island. But the young revolutionary was more than a match for them. Under his command, Cuban troops repulsed the invaders, killing many and capturing a thousand. The evidence is incontrovertible. A year later, the stakes were far higher. American reconnaissance planes discovered Soviet missiles on their way to sites in Cuba. The world was suddenly staring into the abyss of all-out nuclear war. Unmistakable evidence has established the fact that a series of offensive missile sites is now in preparation on that imprisoned island. The superpowers stood eyeball to eyeball, but it was Khrushchev who blinked first, pulling his missiles out of Cuba in return for a secret withdrawal of U.S. weapons from Turkey. Castro, though, had become America's enemy number one. The CIA frequently tried to assassinate him, most infamously with a cigar packed with explosives. Other schemes were even more bizarre. This was a bright idea that if we... Uh... Uh, got a certain powder to him. If he put it on, this would uh, his beard would fall out, and the Cuban people would all fall over laughing, and he would be ridiculed. But while America plotted, the Soviet Union poured money into Cuba. It bought the bulk of the island's sugar harvest, and Russian ships crammed into Havana Harbor, bringing in desperately needed goods to beat the American blockade. But when Soviet communism collapsed, so too did Cuba's economy. The little island faced economic collapse. Tempers grew shorter as the food queues grew longer. By the mid-90s, many Cubans had had enough. Thousands took to the sea in a waterborne exodus to Florida. It was a crushing vote of no confidence in Fidel Castro. And the Florida exiles became the focus of a vigorous campaign to undermine Castro's regime. Still, Castro could be proud of some of his achievements. High-quality medical care, freely available for all. Literacy rates matching leading industrialized countries. But in 2006, Fidel Castro was forced by illness to hand power to his younger brother, Raul. He initiated a program of reforms without undoing all his brother's work. Out of power and increasingly frail, Fidel Castro was seen only rarely. This was January 2014. Later that year, the United States and Cuba made their biggest move towards a permanent thaw hoping to draw a line under the past. But Fidel Castro remained a huge figure of the 20th century, and the Fidel effect will fade only slowly. While many Cubans undoubtedly detested Fidel Castro, others genuinely loved him. They saw him as a David who could stand up to the Goliath of America, who successfully spat in the Yankee eye. For them, Castro was Cuba, and Cuba was Castro. James Robbins, BBC News. This is our common ground. Thank you for joining us tonight. Transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. Stay tuned. And now, Janice Graham. Fidel Alejandro Castro Ruz a Cuban politician and revolutionary who governed the Republic of Cuba as prime minister from 1959 to 1976. 
and then as president from 1976 to 2008. He was born in Biran, Cuba, on August 13, 1926, and he died on November 25, 2016, in Santiago de Cuba, province, Cuba. His children, Alina Fernandez, Fidel Angel Castro Diaz Bala, his wife who died in 2016, whom he married in 1980, Dalia Soto del Valle, and another wife who died in 1955 after being married to him, Myrta Diaz Barlar. He was educated at the University of Havana, 1945 to 1950, uh, and he attended the Berlin Jesuit Preparatory School. He was an officer of the jurisprudence, holding a Ph.D. in international affairs and the world of revolutionary ideologists mourn the passing of Cuba and the world's longest living revolutionist who governed the Republic of Cuba and became its president. Good evening, everyone, and thank you for joining us here at Our Common Ground tonight. And we hope that you have had uh, a, a nurtured and wonderful holiday season with your family and friends as we gather together, well, some of us anyway, we gather together to be thankful uh, for family and friends. I want to make a note because I know that my grand prince number one is listening tonight. I do want to make a note about the wonderful and celebrated uh, grateful tree that my youngest grand, Mason, age four, with leaves where he made, where he placed messages of thankfulness for his family and his friends. Although he mentioned the teacher from last year, he did not mention the teacher from this year, and I think that we learn lessons from all of that. Um, we had a family transition on this year of Gratefulness Day, as we call it. And that tra transition was that my daughter took over the management of the Gratefulness Dinner and Entertainment for the day, passing it from me to her and how proud I was. You know, it's an interesting thing. I don't know if any of you watch your children in the sense that you're watching them, and especially teenagers, especially teenagers. When teenagers 
make good decisions, good choices, bad decisions, bad choices. We are looking at our work, which is why what we do for them is just so important. And I hope that uh, as we move forward in this era of the donad, that we begin to think about that everything that we do, all of our thoughts and notions about what our obligations are, what our responsibilities are, that we watch and understand that everything that we do going forward is creating what happens in our future. And I was so very proud. Uh, My daughter um, put on quite a feast, and not just with the food, but uh, with the uh, little accoutrements uh, of the celebration. Uh, There was a little box at each plate uh, that was to be used to store our blessings for the year. And we are going to have a really tough year that all of you should understand to the degree in which we have been thrown into chaos, bordering on fascism, and there are so many of us who only understand it in the context of our lives, but what we have to do if we are to have black empowerment um, you know I just paused because uh, I'm staring in the chat room and thank you uh, Brother Rashid uh, for your greetings and it's good to have you house music lover with us tonight um, I just got uh, an email that came in, and and the title, the subject of the email is Trump's plan. Please, Lord, can y'all give my computer a break and just leave me alone because I've got to worry about Janice's plan because any plan that is published by what we are going to see is going to be problematic in many ways, but I digress. And I'm trying not to digress, but I digress. And I, I I just think that what we have to do is we have to focus on, as I've been saying for years on these broadcasts, we have to focus on not who we are, but who we are. And that means the collective. We've got to worry about our brothers and sisters who have become invisible. We've got to worry about how we survive and whether or not our strategic positioning with this administration is going to create the necessary firewall so that we can retain what we have and what we need because we are going to be lambasted and there are going to be fissures. There is going to be destruction 
in our notions and understanding and our intent around what we need to do around education, around housing, around civil rights, and we have got to be in a position that we're providing uh, some modicum of thinking about how we serve the interests of our people. Our people, the very low income, the low income, the working poor in our community. And it's going to be a very difficult task. Tonight at Our Common Ground, we're going to be talking with (coughs) Yvette Carnell and Rami Osei from about a new talk show that they have launched online. And if at there is no other time in our recent history that we need solid analysis, that we need input of information, that we need the processing of the issues and challenges before us, and that is why I have decided that we are going to talk about black independent media and especially about what Yvette and Irami are doing um, on this uh, new talk radio show. And we want you to get into this conversation because it's going to be very important for us to be together. And the only way in which we can be together to talk through and have a public discourse is on this kind of media, which is why I've stayed with it for 34 years. Because there is no more urgency than for us to be able to strategize, organize, whether we're organizing for agitation, if whether we're organizing for political action, whether we're organizing to understand the system in which we must operate. Yvette Carnell, thank you so very much for joining us. Once again, all of you know who thank she you. is. She She's been an Our Common Ground voice for a couple of years and um, and an Our Common Ground interlocutor. Uh, Irami hasn't joined us yet, Yvette, but let, let's begin by telling, would you tell our audience what your new talk and call-in show is all about, how you put it together, what was your mission? Well, you know, Irami and I have been talking for a very long time about how wrong so many um, of the people, of the thought leaders in black media are and how there is no alternative. And one of the reasons that I've always come on your show 
over the past few years is that you you're one of the only people I see who has a certain group of people on. You have real black thought leaders, not the people that a lot of people think are thought leaders, and you kind of ask the questions that need to be asked. But what I find is that, you know, you know, Janice P. Graham is one person. Okay, so where is the rest of it? Where is the rest of this inter- independent, you know, um, um, you know, interactive black media? And what I found is that it just doesn't exist. So all we have is like, you know, the Roland Martin and 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 you know, and that and, and that's about it. You know, a couple of people on TV one and a couple of people who who work for for white media, and that's all we have. So you have to ask yourself, even when you look at this last election, it became clear to me like all black media got it wrong. Just like the rest of media, black media got it wrong. And how did you get it wrong? And and there's no alternative for people to say, hey, you know, we can we can get it right. We can get it right. Like these people didn't get it right, but we can get it right. We can provide an analysis that path to actually doing to doing something for African Americans, to doing something for descendants of slaves. But we have to analyze the landscape first, the political landscape, to understand what's happening and what direction we need to go in. And so I think that's the charge that Irami and I gave ourselves. Like, let's really discuss this. Let's get down deep. And nobody else is doing that. You know, most of the people in black media just kind of toying the Democratic line instead of just talking about, no, what is good for African Americans? Forget towing the Democratic Party's line. Like, if it's, let's, let's look at this and say, is this good for African Americans to go in this direction? And let's go from there. So when you started organizing, did you have to make decisions about whether you were going to be political or you are going to be social or cultural? What was your, what was your, what is your intended focus? I mean, I think, I think for, I think, I think it's political, but the cultural influences the political, right? Because when you look at one of the things that we've talked about is black celebrity and how black celebrity, you know, kind of, kind of guides a lot of black thinking and black political thinking in the black community. So you have to ask yourself, why do black people look to, you know, Sean Diddy Combs or LeBron James when we're talking about politics? These aren't people that know anything about politics. So why are we going in that direction? Well, that has to do with black celebrity, and that's black culture. So I think black culture is involved in, to the extent that it influences black politics. But we are concisely focused on black politics. And, you know, in terms of – I was trying to explain to somebody earlier this week. They were talking about – I was talking about ideology and the powerful, you know, whether you're a leftist or a liberal or a conservative or whatever. Well, the truth of the matter is when people get to Capitol Hill, what they fight about most of the time is budget. People are fighting about money and allocation of money. And what I'm trying to figure out is how to get money in the hands of the African-American community. Like, that's what I'm trying to figure out. And I think that's what, that's what most other groups are trying to figure out. It doesn't mean that we can't, we can't work with other groups and we can't, we can't have coalitions, but I'm trying to figure that thing out right there. Mhm, mhm. Well, you know, celebrities in our community are, are 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 seem to be measured in one or two ways. One is how much money they have, and two, how much crazy they have. <laughs> <laughs> and my experience over thirty-four years—I mean, I have been doing the same program for thirty-four years. The same way the 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 guests have have changed, but they it hasn't shifted. You know, a lot of my guests, I I, I got a list of about eleven guests who are now dead. You mm. know, and God bless his soul. I mean, recently 
George Curry. Um, you know, but uh, and one of the things is that this money thing and this uh, crazy thing tends to undermine. You know, like Yvette, the first day that I went on the air, I went on the air the same time on the same day as Oprah Winfrey. First time I've ever been on the radio. I mean, when mm-hmm. our common ground started. And it seems that there has been this tide where retail organizations and corporations began to understand after Oprah's success that black people will spend money with people that they like. Mhm. And, and and see, I can't I can't ever say and you will never be able to say cuz now I'm being a prophet. You will never be able to say that people like you. <laughs> your your issues are too serious for people to begin to start saying, "Oh, I like Yvette." <laughs> They're going to say, "I remember when Yvette said, and Yvette was right, or uh, uh, Arami was right, Arami was right in it, right on point." But they're not gonna you not you're not gonna enjoy the light thing. <laughs> so I'm just prepared. I don't think I've I don't think I've I don't think I've ever enjoyed that. I don't think I've ever had that. Mhm. I mean people will people will begin members of your audience in this business will actually resent you. Because part of my problem is Things that people are coming to and understanding now were things that I was talking about two years ago or three years ago, and they didn't get it. They just thought, oh, Instagram's just talking, but now we see. So um, in, 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 in that framework, uh, and, 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 and how... You know, you know I have this thing that says black people will break your heart. I was amazed at the understanding and response that people had to you when you were trying to put your show together and you went to raising money. Tell mm-hmm. us about that. Well, you know, we um you know, Army's a technical you know, he's a technical guy, right? And so what he was telling me is mm-hmm. if you're going to do a call-in show, you're going to need this machine. And then we need, you know, you know, if you're going to have people look at you, you need lights. And if you, you know, then we have we have cameras. And we have, you know, all, you know, there are all sorts of, then we have wirecast. And that's software. That costs money. So, he, you know, he was laying out to me the list of, like, there's a lot of stuff that goes into this that, that costs money. And, and each show costs money. I didn't know that. Like, each show costs money in terms of call-ins and stuff like that. So he was saying, like, we're going to need some money. So what I what I started doing was just like just like asking people, you know, I did a few videos and basically asked people, hey, you know, if if you like what I'm doing, I want to expand that, you know, to a new format where I can actually listen to you. You can call in and 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 we can and we can have a conversation about this as as opposed to this being like one directional where I'm talking to you. Let's have this. Let's have this go both ways. So, you know, for the most part, you know, for the most part. People came through and they donated money, and I appreciate every cent. I'm not one of those people who be like, well, 
you know, you know, you had the Umar Johnson thing. You, you people should have given more money. No, like I understand that black people don't have a lot of money, so every dime of that, I was, I was, I was excited and I was thankful for. But then you, you also had some people who were like, oh, you know, why they, why they raising money and we don't want to give money to people like that and. You know, you know, these are just events of Debbie Downer, and why would I give money to a Debbie Downer? And like, all of this, like, you know, and, and it's just like I'm not a Debbie Downer. The data is is just a downer. Like you, you excuse. I'm just bringing the data to your attention. Like bringing the data to your attention is not being a downer. You you are you're confusing data with pessimism, and that's the problem. But it's your problem. It's not my problem. So I, I was I was very happy with the money that the money that we received because it gave us you know it gave us the funds we needed to go and buy a lot of this stuff. So we're still mm-hmm. collecting money, of course. You can go to breakingbrown.com and, and contribute, and we're gonna we'll buy some new stuff. But it will and we'll make the show better. But I was just happy with with with, with how people came through, and I, I saw that as like people having an appetite for something other than what they've been told because what they've been told is really just kind of. If you can if you can narrow it down for me, it's just like, oh, the Democrats are great for black people and those Republicans are awful. Well, at a certain point, people kind of realize the story is more complicated than that. Like, stop telling us the same thing over and over and over again. And I think what Iron Man and I do is we tell a story that's a little bit more complicated and add, a, add some meat to it, add those layers, add that complexity to it, because that's important. Well, you know, one of the things, too, in talking about this whole cultural thing and celebrities, one of the things, you know, like, remember when we did the show, the fish, fishnet revolution, when Beyonce did her formation <laughs> thing, and and then she came along with the lemonade thing, and everybody was talking about how important and significant these songs were. And I actually bought the sh- bought the stuff to listen to find out if it really was important, and it really mm. wasn't. <laughs> mm. So Mm-mm. lemonade was not about this, no. <laughs> When you talk about the Debbie Downer kind of uh, talk radio, and by the way, folks, for those of you who are going to catch. Uh, Yvette and Irami on Monday night at 9 p.m. on the Breaking Brown YouTube channel. You're going to be able to see them. I want y'all seeing me. See, I worked in radio (laughs) for a long time. (laughs) I literally, uh, in the old days, in the 80s, came to the radio station with rollers in my hair because I had appointments later on in the day. So, you see, uh, (laughs) I'm a radio (laughs) person. You don't need to see me in order to hear me. Um, But you can see Yvette. And Yvette, you do great. (laughs) You you keep yourself in line um, on on the visual thing. So, you know... (laughs) But, you know, over the last, I don't know how many years I've been on the Internet and the inner tubes doing radio. I insist on doing radio. I don't, you know, that's why I have breaks for you all who send me email and tell me, why do you have so many breaks? Because I have to stop for a minute and think, where am I going with this? 
Uh, and I have friends like India Declare. I promote her show. And next week you're going to hear a promo for BreakingBrown.com. So, you know, you all need to calm the hell down with the email criticism. Um, <laughs> but, but um, Yvette, one of the things that has happened over the years that I've been on the Internet, you know, people steal your shit, too. So you oh, better yeah. lock lock your stuff down. I go I do a search on our common ground almost every other day to find out, you know, how my hits are and all that stuff. Um how many people are sharing my stuff and putting their my stuff on their blogs and whatever. I have people actually downloading my shows and putting it on their YouTube channel. You know, and so what I do is go behind them and I put all my information about how they can join us on Saturday Night Live um, so that people, you know, you have to peep. But one of the things that I've noticed over the last 10 years is that there are just hundreds of black people who have started, everybody doing a radio show. I'm I'm looking at my chat room. Uh, how many of you all got radio shows? Everybody got a radio show. And, yeah. and so, <laughs> you know, uh, anybody who's got an opinion is getting a radio show. And one of yeah. the things that I, I always concern myself with is, as you say, how do you set yourself aside uh, to ensure that you're doing service with your radio show? So, in terms of BreakingBrown.com, and I've been calling it BreakingDown.com, the talk and call-in show, how, who are you targeting? I, I, think, I think I'm targeting members of the African-American community who, who, are, who, are, who are kind of tired of, of mainstream media. And I think I can't think kind of what sets us apart. Like everybody wants, to do a, everybody wants to do a call-in show, but not everybody wants to do the work. And I'm not just talking about the technical work. I mean, before I did the immigration show, I spent like a you know a two three days like reading like reading through papers about immigration and 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 how that tar- and 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 it affects mm-hmm. on the black community and you know, like how did it happen like what what you know most people don't know it. there was a law and you know that came about in the 1960s that kind of you know you know opened the floodgates and so you know you have to do that kind of research to give it context and so a lot of people want to have a show and just talk and it's like no you 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 have to know the information. And I don't think I think you differentiate yourself because you know the information, and once you know the information, you can kind of use that information, and you can kind of weaponize it, if you will, in a way that is that is that is okay. How is this beneficial? Like, let's look at the numbers. Like, I like to look at the numbers now. I don't like, I'm not, I don't even read articles anymore. If I scan an article and doesn't have any data in it, I might not read it. You know, because mm-hmm. that's what I'm that's what I'm most interested in. Like the data tells mm-hmm. the, the data tells the best the data the data reveals so much data is about patterns patterns of life patterns of behavior what what are these things that keep repeating that keep us here so I'm most concerned about about, about data and I think once you tear everything away like you can have anybody come in front of you and say whatever they can they can talk all this good stuff about no Obama was great for us so they can talk but like what does the data tell me like that's my main concern what does the data tell me and I think that differentiates us because. I mean, we're, we're rigorous in terms of how we approach black politics. And I, I think far too many of these commentators that I see have been, have been very lazy 
you know, they, they kind of, they might know a lot of stuff about the time the king was around. They can tell you stuff about Kwame Ture, well, Big Lee was supposed to be called my son, but that's not, no. Like, people understand, like, time is really sped up. Right, we're living in the, the we're living in the richest country in the world during a time of historic calcification of wealth. This is this is this is a problem for Black people who are economically on the bottom. And I don't have time to wax nostalgic about you. I'm just trying to get us out of this position and think about what position should we take as Black people, as African Americans, descendants of slaves in this country, to move ourselves out of this position. I don't have time to talk about the fact that you marched with King. I don't really care. And it may sound disrespectful. But that's just where I am right now. And I think that differentiates us from everybody else, differentiates us from everybody in the room. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, you know, one of the things that we have always tried to do with this show is to help people be able to identify specific objectives, political and social justice projects. And it's really hard when you're not, I mean, I enjoyed this much more because I could go, I I could, after I finished a show, I could set up a project on any particular uh, issue because it was community radio and say, okay, we've talked about this for four days. In two weeks, we're going to have a community forum and we're going to set up committees and 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 we could organize over the air about who's going to operate and volunteer what committees what the purpose of the committee we could do community organizing well Kathy Hughes took away all of that that's mm-hmm. not- we're never going to get that back and if you want to know folks who stole black radio but they're on the on the um campus of Howard University and Check out the School of Communications, and the name is right up there, so you check that out. But, um, <laughs> and, and, and I think that one of the reasons that we have been so uh, manipulated in all of our political organizing over the last, I would say, 20 years is because we have mainstream media who's controlling the voices that appear in the glitter and the gold. And one of the things I've tried to do is not be the glitter and the gold so that we don't shimmer, but we inform. And, and I hear that's what you're trying to do with BreakingBrown.com. The other thing I've always been concerned about, I've been concerned about, especially in the last uh, 10 years, or six or seven years, let's put it that way, is turning over my microphone and being done. But when I look at, as you have identified, when I look at the kind of serious, analytic, commentary, and and interchange within the black community on the airwaves, I'm not seeing much. And I was really, really glad that, and very proud that you and Arami, who are our Common Ground voices, and kind of cut your teeth on this program that mm-hmm. about talking and taking calls and the whole nine yards and figuring out 
how how do we do this as a sustaining organizing and political mechanism and i was really proud of that um so and i think we need more of that i'm working on a, a radio project uh event here in boston with young people high schoolers and later mm-hmm. on in this program um we just we just did uh what we call <clears throat> a, a, a sample Every kid in the project had to do a sample. And I'm going to share with this audience uh, later on in this program, in this broadcast tonight, uh, how we find out how what our young people are thinking about. Because mm-hmm. it's, it was startling to me. I, I recorded one of the samples uh, to present. But even beyond that, one of the challenges that I have had as a producer and an executive producer, I mean, you know that I have tried to keep this show, uh, this particular program, Our Common Ground, on the steady. It has to be informed. It has to be uh, detailed analysis of the issues, and we're not following events. We're staying on issues, and if an event, particularly event, fits into a particular issue that is important to black people, we talk about it. But how do you compete with black people, and how do you retrain black people about who the important voices are? Well, See, you know, I want y'all to have a million I, listeners. Well, you know, I, I don't, I don't, I, you know what? I, I think that I think the black voices out there right now are so few and far between, and the ones who are out there are so bad, and are so abysmal, and are so lazy. I don't. I, I think. I think if you can, if you can consistently just get people to show up, I think you can differentiate yourself. Right. I I, I don't mm-hmm. think we're at a time. I don't think we're in an era where there's competition of people who are doing good work. That's just what I see. When I look out on the horizon and I see black people and I see talking heads, they're all saying they're all making the same little can comment. Nobody has mm-hmm. any insight. Since Jamel Bowie on another show, but he, I mean, the, the, the guy, there's no insight to anything that he says, and he's given a platform to write, but that's in white media, and that's what happens. And so I think I think I think when you I think part of the reason you see a lot of you see a lot of people online too getting resonating, and some of those people are great, and some of those people aren't the people that I, I would like to resonate. But I think part of the reason you see this this emergence of so many people you know online getting attention is because we realize that what we're getting from black talking heads in the media is is just ridiculous. It's just something that they heard on MSNBC or some article they read, and they just kind of run with it. And it's not specifically designed to benefit, you know, African Americans in this country. It's just kind of, it's not even tailored towards us. You didn't even read it thoroughly. You just kind of read some clips and a few stuff, and you say, hey, what about this thing? And y'all get together and say, well, I, I think this thing is, you know, I think it's going to be bad for black people because remember last year this happened, this happened. And you, and you all think that that's like good. You all think that mm-hmm. you all think that that's that's what, it, and it's like no, you have to you have to read articles, you have to read books, you have to do all this stuff, and then condense it in a way 
that it's important for your audience. You're, you're like when, pe- when people talk to me on my show, you're not just talking to me to hear what Yvette has to say. You're hearing Yvette, you know, talk about stuff that she read, stuff that you didn't have time to do, you know, because people are busy or whatever. But that's what these people should be doing for you. They should be doing stuff that you ain't have time to do, like 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 digesting information that you didn't have time to digest. And if they're not doing that, then they're not important to you in any significant way. It's just, a, it's just another Negro at a barbershop. <laughs> another Negro in the barbershop. You know, more than 20% of people who listen to talk radio are black. Mm. And that tally does not include black talk formatted radio stations, either on the Internet or terrestrial. And... Mm. I'm not sure you're I, – I have to agree to you, with you, that um, our talk radio is not meeting the needs of that 20%. Um, and let's talk about some people. You okay. ready? I'm ready. Okay. Recently, Roland Martin got caught up in – a Democratic Party's uh, web of deceit and with passing on information to Donna Brazil to prepare Hillary Clinton for the third debate. And we seem to have forgiven him for that as a broadcaster, as a reporter, as a commentator, it was so inappropriate uh, and so not nice, <laughs> I'll say that, uh, for him to have been involved in that or for Donna Brazil to have been involved in it, but that's another story. Then comes two weeks later, Roland Martin brings on Richard Spencer, the infant, now infamous white supremacist, who held the White Nationalist Conference in some damn place um, uh, in celebration of the Donads election, where white supremacy and nationalism was the rally of the night. Now, I'm going to ask you as a broadcaster, uh, what your thoughts are about why we are using the very little uh, broadcast space that we have to normalize that kind of behavior. What does that do for black people? Nothing. Listen, this is this is a... This is a this is a person who is an enemy of black people. That's what he's telling you. To be a white supremacist is to be, a, is to be an enemy of black people. To, you, you are a person, whether you even want to say it on air or not, who would, who would be happy with our extinction or extermination. That's who you are. Now, why would, the black, why would a black person want to give that person a voice? Why would, you know, of everything, people in Flint still don't have clean water, Okay. And here you are giving a white supremacist prime time space on on your network. It it, it it makes no sense. And let me just say this about Roland Martin. I think Roland Martin should be excommunicated in terms of black media. 
because what he did was absolutely atrocious, and I'll tell you why it was atrocious. Two of those questions that he shared, like it was like there was a question about Flint, and there was another question of, from a death row inmate who, who were going to ask Hillary Clinton a question, and he gave those questions according to CNN. I'm not saying that CNN said this. CNN said Roland did this. They said that. So he gave those questions to Donna Brazile. Well, he when he did that, what people don't really understand is that he robbed the black community of something. This was the only opportunity we had to get a hearing before a woman who could have been the next president of the United States. And what we needed from her was an honest response. We needed to have an honest response, engage her response, and, 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 and assess her based on that response. But Roland Martin, because he wanted to get the hookup on what he thought was the incoming presidential administration, he, didn't, he cared more about himself and getting a hookup with the Democratic Party and Donna Brazile than he cared about black people, okay? Because if he cared about black people, he said, no, these are, these are black questions about the African-American community, and I want Hillary Clinton to answer them honestly, and I want black people to see that honest answer and make of it what they will. She needs to have a plan, and, and when they ask these questions, we will know whether or not Hillary Clinton has a plan or whether or not she's making – no, you, gave, you allowed Hillary Clinton to cheat on the test. It's, it's, it's like – and, and, and Bernie Sanders didn't get to cheat on the test. You gave Hillary Clinton the opportunity to cheat on the test. For black people, okay? It's like you both in this room getting tested on, you know, the solutions that you have for the black community, and you, Roland Martin, allow one person to cheat, and that's cheating the community. And it is absolutely outrageous to me that nobody has held him accountable and said, you need to walk away. We'll find somebody else because you are of no use to us. Well, you know, it gets to it goes to the point of helping people really understand that there is no such thing as black discourse on mainstream media. We people like Roland Martin, Reverend Al Sharpton, um, Tavis Smiley, they talk about black people. They talk about black issues, but it is not the same as black talk because there is no infusion of a true reflection of black voices around their kitchen tables at the barbershop, even the understanding of the Negro (laughs) whispering. Yep. So I, I I just wanted to 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 very quickly make that point. Now, tell us about uh, when you broadcast. Uh, how people can get to you. How people can support your 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 show. See, I don't ask for any money. Because when a, when a mofo comes sending me an email telling me I gave you $200 and I want you to do this and that and the other, that's when I have a problem. That That's not the essence of it. The essence is that I cannot do this as a commerce right now. Okay? Um I mean, I left a radio station that paid me very well to do a weekly show, but I refused to, when they brought in Rush Limbaugh, who was going to be broadcasting 
the slot before me. I just could not do that. Couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. And you have to make hard choices. So give us an idea about um, uh, how people can listen to you and how people can support informative black talk broadcasting. Because I well, can't call you a radio show. <laughs> call well, in we, talk we show. Yeah, we, we broadcast Monday and Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Um, those are our two shows um, so far, two, two, two days of the week that we broadcast. And, you know, there, there are a lot of ways to support us. You can give money at breakingbrown.com. You know, we select all credit cards. And <laughs> but you can, you can also, if you can also just go to my YouTube, Yvette Carnell. If you go to YouTube and type in Yvette Carnell, it comes up and subscribe. You can go to my Facebook and subscribe to my Facebook or add me as a friend. I also have a new Facebook account because I'm running out of friends on this on on, on my personal account, um, um, Yvette Carnell. And you can go there and like that page as well. And you can you can you know and and when the videos come out, like they're broadcast live. Share the videos, like share the videos. Like if you really want, if you really want people to get something that they're not getting, share the video. But I, I mean, unlike you, I understand what you're saying. People come up and be like, "I donated." Well, what you're donating is independent media. That, is, that doesn't mean I'm going to echo everything that you say, right? That means that means that that means that we're going to have this is going to be independent. We're going to have a back and forth, and I'm going to be that person I've always been. But it doesn't mean that we're going to always agree. And I think that's something people need to understand. I'm not going to always agree with you. You're not going to always agree with me, but that's okay. Well, we want to take some uh, uh, some calls. And 803 is right here. 803, you're on the air with Yvette Carnell. Thank you for your call. I respect you. <laughs> Peace, this uh, This is Max Parpus calling in from Columbia, hey, South Max. Carolina. The abolitionist is on the line. <laughs> indeed, indeed, the abolitionist is on the line. I was just listening to the conversation and I uh, heard uh, what was being discussed about with Roland Martin, and I got to thank you, uh, Sister Carnell. I was, like, thinking to myself the very same thing. Why does he, he is he even giving this guy FaceTime? I mean, the man is probably touching himself watching the video of him on that show now. Uh, it seemed like he was trying <laughs> to expose his ignorance, but what he was really doing was giving voice to the uh, illegitimate, something that shouldn't even be logically discussed at that level. But it went on even, I went on even further with it as well, because as an abolitionist, there's something very important to me that I don't hear none of y'all talking about, Roland Martin, mm-hmm. you, or anybody else, and that's freeing these people who are unjustly in prison of the 2.5 million. We just had the largest prison work strike in the history of this country, and almost no black broadcasters were talking about it, giving it no airtime whatsoever. 46,000 people involved across 24 states, literally against slavery, prison slavery, and nobody spoke of it at all. It seemed like it didn't exist in the world. So there's a lot of well, people right there. We, got we certainly did, Max, and we knew we knew you were you were on the case. And yes, ma'am. You were I very right deliberately uh, went and found your archives and posted it on uh, ourcommonground.com uh, right. we, web. And on our community forum 
As a matter of fact, oh, we sent out a special newsletter on uh, on the um, on the strike for two. You weeks. and I are of one mind with this. We have spent quite some time together, and I believe I've talked with Sister Carnell before as well here on air. Mm-hmm. But you know, we firmly believe that a lot of these people who are in prison right now do not deserve to be there. They have no business being there. There's a reason we have the largest prison population in the history of the world right now. It's because there's a lot of uh, what is comparable to black codes going on, particularly with marijuana laws. And we want those people freed. And we don't hear nobody talking about freedom anymore. So that bothers me. Just saying. Well, I I, I hear you. And one of the things, and and I would uh, also recommend to our audience that you go back and look at our show, which was, I think, in May, um, yes. with uh, Arami Osei Frimpong. And the title of the show was, What is Freedom? So, um, Indeed, you know... We are allies in this fight. You're making Yvette's point. Yes. Your show should be on five days a week. Yvette's show should be on five days a week. My show should be on five days a week, and we should be paid for our labor because one of the reasons I have to take large breaks is I have a family, and I yes. have young children who are my grandchildren, and they go to school, and because I can't, I spend days, working on this radio show and and I haven't mm-hmm. had when I sit uh, all day Saturdays I'm working mm-hmm. on this radio show I'm analyzing news I'm looking at issues and and our community has got to come to that yes we've got to come was... back to community radio or discourse right and I was if we don't value it, goes away. Pardon me? I said, I think I was, I was blessed to be a guest on your, what was your 30th anniversary? It was my 33rd anniversary. 30, 30, 33rd anniversary. Amazing, man. So you have been a strong voice out there. And we are one mind on this. As I said, we've talked in detail and your listeners have heard from us before, but we always put this information out there. We know that we're dealing with something that really is slavery. It's a slave trade. They're buying and selling human beings on the open market. They're using slave labor. All the terminology that fits for slavery fits for what's happening right now. And we're hoping we get more people to come to that conclusion so we can change from trying to reform a crime to trying to end a crime being done upon us. Mm-hmm. Max, uh, tell my audience what night you're on, and it's on, and you're at the Black Talk Network. We're at the Black Talk Radio Network dot com. Uh, we have social network as well. We are we air every Wednesday at eight p.m. New Abolitionist Radio, but archives like the rest of us are available twenty four hours a day. Yep. Yep. I, well, I appreciate you giving me a chance to ask the question about you know one us speaking on behalf of these people who need to be free. Thank you so much. Thank you, Max, and I appreciate you being with us. Good Brother, the new abolitionist on blacktalkradionetwork.com, and they do some good work over there, Yvette. They they really do. Um, mm-hmm. And we don't, you know, way back in the day, Max. Max, are you still with us? Yes, ma'am. 
Okay, uh, Yvette and and Max, way back in the day, I chaired the National Alliance of Black Talk Radio Hosts. Uh, Bob Law, um, Mark Thompson, uh, there were just loads of us who were on one accord. And I think we need to go back uh, to working with the Alliance because on something like the prison strike, in the day I would be calling everybody, and that was when long-distance calls cost. I would be calling everybody and saying, look, we got to get on this prison strike. Everybody needs to be talking about this next week every day. Mm-hmm. You know, I have been very neglectful. For instance, a brother that I really respect is Carl Nelson on WOLAM in Washington, D.C., and uh, he and I have not connected. Uh, I've not connected with Wilma Leon and some others that we need to be in alliance about what we're doing with these airwaves and how we are servicing, serving our our communities and our listeners. So I hear you, Max. I I really do hear you. My passion runs deep. You know, uh, I've been studying this for so long. The more I learn, the more I'm uh, I, I see just that I don't even know half anymore. Uh, the things that are occurring. For instance, when Trump was elected recently, on that day, prison stocks rose by sixty percent. By sixty percent. Absolutely. He had just fought so hard that finally we got the Justice Department to listen to us, and they announced they would be phasing out of their prison contracts. Their stocks dropped by 60% then. So it's been a battle, and there's hundreds of millions of dollars on the line and millions of lives in jeopardy right now behind this battle uh, to decide whether or not we're going to see this as slavery or as some kind of uh, mistake made over time that we call mass incarceration. Because the first mass incarceration period was the Fugitive Slave Law Act. That was mass incarceration right there. We're doing the same thing again now, and the 13th Amendment allows all of this. You know, recently in Colorado, they had a uh, uh, on the ballot to take out their exception clause from the Colorado State Constitution, which allows for slavery, and it lost 51 to 49 percent. Well, people one wanted of the that Yes. One of the things that we have to be really, you said something so very crucial, we have to be very, very focused on the idea that there were many private prison corporations who were getting ready to close down, but then you had the election of the Donad and his and his Sessions Justice Department mm-hmm. will will definitely not be clearing these contracts because they were private prisons. And Eugene Price and I uh, talk often, and you should that's one person that you should – he wrote the book on private uh, prisons in America. And, um, and, 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 and we need to – you know, one of the notes that I have for tonight – uh, for in our second hour is to really think about the issues that we need to be pressing on, that we need to be committed to, and one of them is to continue the talks with our government, with state governments. You know, these people need to be put on notice. 
I had a and conversation to... recently. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm just saying I had a conversation recently. recently with Brian Stevenson, the founder of the Equal Justice Initiative, who was here in Columbia, South Carolina. I love that and brother. Yes, yeah, I'm, I'm a fan of his. I use a lot of his work and uh, his information, as a matter of fact. But there is a problem that, or a, a difference of opinions that we have, and I think I found out what it is by speaking to him when he said there was a direct line that leads from slavery through terrorism, through segregation, through mass incarceration. See, he skips a part, and many of us do, and that's convict leasing. Convict leasing went into play immediately after 1865. As a matter of fact, the first prison, state prison, was built right here in South Carolina, where I'm at, in 1866, and it was actively filled with black people. They used convict leasing to change uh, ownership from the individual of being able to own people to the state doing it. And that went on all the way up till 1928, and it became replaced by Unicor. But we don't look at the prison itself as the direct line. For some reason, we look at the effects being uh, applied to the people who are free and on the outside. So we talk about segregation, but during segregation, blacks were enslaved building railroads and mines. And we talk about Jim Crow, but during Jim Crow, we had chain gangs, you know, running around here doing their work for free. And we, and we don't come back again until mass incarceration, and then we look again at the prison. So we skip that yeah. whole section. Of incarceration. Yeah. yeah. You see, here's 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 the deal about a network event. Um, mm-hmm. That the source of information. I'm very careful about the source of information that I provide to my audience as an independent broadcaster, as a uh, broadcaster that's committed to black people and black thought and black action. Is that Max? is the go-to person on issues having to do with the prison industrial complex. And mm. so that's why it's so important to to somehow get this network together and maybe I'll call uh, a a conference call of a a few people who, you know, we can trust and 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 become allies in in all of this. India Declare is another person who broadcasts uh, here at Blog Talk Radio on the I Declare show every Tuesday night at 9 o'clock, and she brings it real. She brings her information and her numbers and her statistics, and she's not playing around with it. Hey, Max, thank you so much. Uh, For those of you who like what you heard and who have an interest in the slavery system of our time, Max Parthas, the new abolitionist, he broadcasts from the Black Talk Radio Network on Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Yes, ma'am. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to talk. I appreciate both of you sisters. Keep doing the work you do, but let's talk more about freedom. That's all I ask. Please, ma'am. Thank you. And and, and let me just say say something. I'd like to thank you. Thank you, thank you, man. I like the way he said, you know, it's about freedom. But really, 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 the, really, the, the the criminal justice system in terms of the black, the black people who are overwhelmingly black men being incarcerated is, is just is, it's not even about freedom so much as it is like nobody views black men as being worth anything, and and that includes a, that includes a, a lot of people who are black. I mean, if you, yep. if you ask the person they're going to say is like, how did how did he get there? 
Like, he must have done something. Like, there is no valuing of black male life in this country, and nobody wants to talk about it. We have shown on our program that there's at least 750,000 people who don't belong in prisons, and we could prove it through instances like what happened in Massachusetts with um, the woman who was working as a uh, chemist, Annie Dukin, and falsified yes. many thousand cases. Those cases have That's yet right. to be reviewed. That's just one and she person. she only went to jail for t- 11 months, months or 10 months, yeah. 18 months. Mm-hmm. And she was, oh, 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 okay, Yvette, hold, hold on to the edge of your desk. Mm-hmm. An East Indian immigrant. <laughs> <laughs> We expose that there's 14 states that provide incentive to lab technicians for every positive drug or alcohol test that they provide. So they get a, a cash kickback for doing this. And this was just one woman who was doing it. It's in 14 states. That's right. That's right. That's right. And she got caught by a fluke. A smart Indeed. attorney. And the huh? kids for cash. The kids for cash right. case was another great example. Five thousand children being sold to private prisons by two corrupt judges using the courts as nothing but processing plants. The judges got twenty eight years. The company's still in business. Yeah. These are the ways, and folks listening to this broadcast, you will not hear this kind of discourse. You will not get this kind of information on MSNBC, NPR, the, the, you know, you, 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 you've got to understand it is people who are committed and responsible to you and accounting of what is important in where you eat, where you sleep, and where your children go to school. I got to go to break. Yvette, stay yeah, with peace us. Peace, family. I'll Matt, continue listening. Okay. Peace and freedom, brother. Peace. Yvette, when we come back, we I know you got to go to your guest because somebody came and stole you. <laughs> but when we come back, uh, I do, I do want to talk to you about uh, distinguish, helping people distinguish the difference between um, identity talk and non-identity talk. You're listening to Our Common Ground. And when we come back, more from Yvette Carnell. Um, and I don't know what happened to Irami. He might be on here and didn't hold up his hand. 404, I see you. 803, um, um, 404, I'll be right to you when we come back from this break. And I want to share something with you as we come back into the break. But we'll be right back. We're not going nowhere. We might even get three hours.
truth to power, one broadcast at a time. No matter what, know your values. No matter what, know you matter. The I Declare Show, home of Real Raw Right Now Talk Media. I Declare Show is where we deal with the difficult, real raw, right now. The I Declare Show. Real Raw Right Now Talk Media, I Declare. The I Declare Show, Tuesdays, 9 p.m. I'm Janice Graham, and I Declare. It's real, raw, and right now. The I Declare Show with India Declare. Transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. Now back to Janice. And we thank you for being with us here tonight. Don't forget to join us on Facebook, OCG Talk Radio, and on Twitter, at Janice OCG, and our website, OurCommonGround.com, where you can subscribe to all three of those and follow us on Twitter and do what you want to do to keep us alive. Uh, At some point, we have to show that we are doing some good for some people. Don't forget to subscribe to the Black Agenda Report, where you get your your news, and your news is going in the right direction so that your brain can filter through the important issues of the day from voices that you can trust. Uh, And tonight we're talking with Yvette Carnell about BreakingBrown.com, the new talk and call-in show, which is live, and you can see her. You cannot see me. You will never (laughs) be able to see me. You know, Yvette, I did a radio, a TV show, all of, like nine months. It was one of those TV shows where you had to have, you know, the set, and my executive producer had to call and get furniture or whatever the hell was going on with that. I had to actually get dressed, and I said, the heck with this. I don't want to do this anymore. This is crazy. Plus, it it, it aired at 11 o'clock on Sunday nights but it always featured one of my guests from the previous week. So that was good. That's how I got to meet people like Ron Daniels and uh, La Francis Rogers Rose and Julia Hare um, because the station flew those people in for the show. So that was, that was kind of nice. But, yeah. but here is... 
here is what I want to do. And, and, and I've been very particular about ensuring that the people who appear on this show and hoping that, you know, I had a troll problem there for a while, but I fixed my troll problem, I think. There were trolls calling and trolls all in the chat room. And for those of you who are listening, you can come and join our chatters um, uh, at blogtalkradio.com backslash OCG um, and join in the conversation. People talk constantly during the broadcast. But one of the things is to be able to trust the voices. I mean, I have people all the time who are sending me emails and saying, I want to be on your show. Back up, Jack. Who are you? (laughs) (laughs) And what have you done lately for your people? And can I call your name when I'm celebrating somewhere in the seven principles of the Nguza Saba? I mean, so that that is very important, and I'm sure you have an eye for the sources of, of, of your news uh, and the information that you provide your audiences. Um, I love the way you're so relaxed and, you know, um, I'm sitting up here with 50,000 pieces of paper um, because, I, I, you know, I've got two hours, and we may go to three hours soon. But, mm-hmm. you know, I, I worry about my listenership, too. I mean, people have so many choices, and they end up on bad choices. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, I, I want you to, you've got some callers and people who want to talk to you, and um, I, I, I'm, we're going to go to the phones, because you know how about going to the phones. M- my <laughs> phones work. My phones are, are good phones. <laughs> and again, thank you all for being with us tonight. Four of four, you're on the air. I respect you. I respect you as well. Uh, shout out to the two ladies hosting. Shout out to the previous caller. He gave really good information. Uh, you, you guys hit on so much, but I want to hit on a couple of things uh, really quick. Uh, first thing is, I, I believe her name is Yvette. Uh, mm-hmm. Yvette Cornell, on, breaking, Yvette Cornell. breakingbrown.com. Okay. BreakingBrown.com, got it. Uh, she hit on a big point when she talked about, uh, you know, just this idea of disregarding data and always wanting to lecture. Uh, there was a brother, Professor uh, uh, Manu Ampim. He had a book, The Limitations of the Lecture Model, and it talked about us just wanting to come out and feel good and hear something and then go home, uh, no objective, uh, no planning afterwards. Uh, the great Dr. Chancellor Williams, uh, he got to a point in his life to where he said uh, he would turn down lectures because people would ask him to come to their place, college, school, whatever, to lecture, but there was no plan for the next day. There was no objective to what they were doing besides coming to hear him speak and then everybody go home and do what they normally do and then, you know, come out on fire again a month from then. So that I, mm-hmm. I think that's very important to talk about it, us getting to the to space where we decide if we're going to have a lecture, there has to be at least – a plan for something locally to happen uh, before you come to your next meeting. Okay, on this day we're going to do this. On this day we're going to do that. It has to be uh, involved in any of any of that conversation. 
Uh, second point, yeah, you got Roland Martin dead to rights. Uh, the idea that he would bring that person on television and give him that platform, it doesn't matter that that man was ignorant or that man uh, couldn't even, you know, get his ideas out. The fact is, what happens when they get a better version of their alt-right guy to come around and make the media rounds? And he makes his argument better. All you're doing is giving them a recruiting platform. And matter of fact, they're going to cut up that video that Roland did and pick out the good splices of answers from their guy and use that to recruit people. So the, the mm-hmm. idea that you would that, give Carla, some, yeah, Beyond that, normalizing for yes. black people the kind of vitriol. As black people, we suffer enough. We don't have to hear that nonsense. We know what we know. Right, but, but it plays into that feel-good narrative, though, the idea of, oh, he told him. Oh, you see how he shut him down on X question? You know, that <laughs> idea that that's a victory. We still think that's a win, and we are sadly mistaken. So, yeah, we need to use our platforms much better. Uh, the good thing is independent media is using their platform for the things it should be, like you guys are doing, Black Agenda Report. You know, there's so many. So I've learned about so many professors and speakers from listening to your show and, and finding their information from listening to you guys and so on and so on. Uh, rest in peace to Fidel Castro, of course. But uh, I'm enjoying the show tonight, and I'm going to look into some of the brothers' information that he gave tonight. Uh, everybody out there, look up Shy Bond Fund. Uh, that's an organization in Chicago that is bonding brothers out through donations collected on social media. Also, Flint Crisis Rising. Uh, they're making sure people get water and still handling that emergency. Uh, that is a basically a genocide going on in this country that is not being talked about. And, you know, we, we really got to address these things and, and never forget Haiti. Look for local Haitian orgs to, to donate to. So th- there's work to be done. And some of the work only requires you to go to PayPal and donate some money. <laughs> so, that, you know, that, the things true. have to be done. So, yeah, I, I appreciate what you guys I mean, are doing. I I'm going to hang about- up. Oh, I think about all of the people, you know, up until uh, about five years ago, I did our common ground five days a week, five nights a week. That takes a toll on you because yeah. this is my, my gig to pay the, my rent on the planet. But I have another gig. <laughs> and most people don't realize that. Uh, that I do uh, 48 to 50 hours on. So we do need to make a pledge to ourselves as a community that we, I mean, i give you a good example. MSNBC, Bet you ready for this one? Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All that nonsense that went on with Melissa Harris-Perry, on MSNBC. It was because that network was getting ready to platform Hillary Clinton as the candidate. And Melissa essentially wasn't on the program because she didn't like Hillary Clinton. I mean, like yeah. her in the sense of liking her agenda. And they had history from the 2008 contest between President Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton. The network knew that. So they created 
this friction. And unfortunately, Melissa Harris Perry fell into the friction and let it off the edge. So I think that we have to be very, very careful in terms of who we listen to. And most of the people who've been with me for years and years know I listen to talk radio from 6.30 in the morning till um, till my iPod goes off that's sitting under my pillow at 2 and 3 o'clock in the morning. So I have a good gauge about what 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 the mainstream media is talking about unless I'm listening to Yvette and 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 Arami Osei from Pong or I'm listening to India Declare. I'll give you another example, Yvette. Alpha of the Alpha show on Truthworks Network. And mm. and yeah, I'm partial. He is <laughs> one of the best political analysts that I have heard in the more than 45 years that I have been listening to wow. talk radio as though, as though my life depends on Yeah, I was, I was listening to Jerry Williams uh, before I ever thought about being a talk show host. So um, because there's no gold and glitter, does not mean that we cannot learn. And, Carla, you're absolutely right. If you're listening to a talk show and you are not learning anything, then you need to find another talk show. I mean, Woman Leon, uh, who broadcasts on Saturdays on Sirius XM Radio, has been on this show numerous times. I don't care where the people come from. Um... If Yvette was on the radio or on, I don't know what you call what you do, because you can see you, on the TV, on the <laughs> Internet, on the inner tubes, on YouTube, <laughs> ranting and raving and talking about nothing that's useful to people, but ranting and raving and being all angry and upset, then I, I would not be supporting that. And I want you all to understand that. Our number is 347-838-9852. Yvette's going to be with us for just a few more minutes if you'd like to talk to her. 404, thank you so very much for your call. Oh, was, indeed. Thanks for letting me on. Uh, see you all next time. I'll talk to you all next okay. time. Okay. <laughs> next week, by the way, for those of you who are listening, I'm going to be in conversation with one of the Our Common Ground interlocutors talking about Haiti and talking about we might see up the road in this Donad administration. I cannot call that man's name. I'm sorry. Yvette, I know I know you and I kind of like, I, I, I understand government. And I also understand business and commerce and corporations. This is going to be disastrous. There's going to be... So much litter that we're not going to be able to keep up with it. And my concern really has to do with that we tend to be a reactionary community 
rather than a planning community. And we well, have we're got already to a reactionary. that. Yes, we're already a reactionary community. Like it was nobody nobody in the black community after I mean from what I saw after after Donald Trump was elected, nobody 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 was having a conversation about what are some things here that could be good for me and what are what are other things here that could be very bad for me and how do I plan how do I how how do I organize in a way you know that limits limits the detrimental aspects of and 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 sort of rallies around anything that Trump proposes that proposes that may be in the least bit beneficial. What you had was and I, and I'm not trying to be mean, but this is this is just a problem. What you had was Sean King basically posting a lot of articles and a lot of other people about you know making people believe that the the Klan was on the rise in the sense of I thought I was going to get up the next day and look out my window and see the KKK. Like it, I mean that that's how hyperbolic the rhetoric was, and we have to we have to ask ourselves at a certain point, at a certain point, the people that you look to for thought as thought leaders have to provide some leadership in terms of in terms of the way forward. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. I talked a lot on, on one of our shows about you know what to what to do locally and what does organizing mean, and 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 he put together a great video on like you know on like what's a way forward in terms of in terms of organizing in your own community and doing stuff like that. Like you just can't show me videos all the time of of of, of people being told to go back to Africa. Or they told her to go back to Mexico, and they found out that she wasn't yeah. Mexican. For some Honduras. Yeah. I don't want to see that. At a certain point, you're going to have to pivot from that and give me some leadership in terms of what to do instead of just keeping black people scared yeah. 24 hours a day. Yeah. But one of the things, one of the things is that we have to recognize also before Barack Obama, before Bill Clinton, before George Bush, we were looking out at our windows and seeing the Ku Klux Klan. We just didn't know who they were. And that's what we've got to come uh, to grips with. We've got to begin our analysis in terms of the issues before us. For those of you who think that you need your government to be smaller, you didn't need your government to be smaller. You needed your government to be more committed to the citizens of the United States and to be more efficient. But the shit you, I mean, the stuff you going to send, I, 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 I told, I mean, this is it's so crazy, the, the enormity of the reaction to something that has happened. It's done. It's over. As Alpha would say, it's shit in your pants now. <laughs> That's what Alpha said. I didn't say that. <laughs> But we we have got to stop demating, marginalizing, minimizing the resources that we have we already have in front of us. The fact that you can go on your computer and that you can see Yvette and Irami. Irami is a philosopher who has studied at the University of California, Berkeley, Brandeis University. He's now at the University of Georgia. Yvette Cornell has operated on the Hill. You know, I didn't know you worked for Barbara Boxer until a couple months ago, Mm. uh, Yvette. But she's been in the Congress understanding how that instrument works. 
And she's a graduate of Howard University with a degree in political science. Shit, you can't, I mean, excuse me. <laughs> These are the resources that you cannot afford to underestimate. You know, I was ta- I was having a conversation in a, in a community forum here in Boston, and when the lady introduced me, I was thinking to myself, well, damn, I'm one of the very select small group of people in our community that has been up close, intimate, and personal in corporations with the people who actually make the decisions. And I have looked in their eyes and decided, oh, hell no. So uh, we've we've got to stop doing that. Yvette, tell us again. It's Monday and Wednesday, 9 p.m., BreakingBrown.com. If you all got $5, $10, $15, go to subscribe and make a contribution. The way yeah, we're, we're making we're a contribution. We always put it to use. Yeah. That's right, because they need some more lights or some more telephone lines. <laughs> Yeah, we we only got six, people. Only got people six, in your chat room. People in your chat room are always complaining about. Yeah, they always about like lines are always up, but we only got phone. six lines. We only got well, six. I got that's, fifty that's lines, the, the and if I home. could, I got fifty lines. If I could, if if I could get fifty calls on here, um, I know I got a hundred lines. I got a hundred lines, a hundred li- telephone lines. If 100 people call in here, I got it. I won't be able to answer them all because I only got two hours. But <laughs> that's another thing. Yvette. And they can't see, uh, they please, can't see you, Janice. <laughs> no, they can't see me. I'm I'm glad they can't see me. Uh, <laughs> but I tell you how reactionary we have become in all of this. My four-year-old grandson, Grand Prison, Prince, uh, was having a discussion with me about why he should be able to eat a piece of pie before he finished his green beans a uh, week before last. And I said, no, you can't. You have to eat the green beans, and then you can have a piece of pie. And he looked at me, and he said, Nani, you're fired. Four years old. Nobody knew where it came from. It came from school. <laughs> That's where it came from, where everything else comes from, school. So that's how reactionary we have been in all of this. And what we've got to do is put a plan together, understand what our children are experiencing, go from there. We have got to strategically set some goals and some objectives but you've got to have information about how we decide our priorities, and that's what black independent radio and talk, call-in, talk show could see Yvette. (laughs) And you know what's funny, Yvette? I sit here and I crack up because when India Declare, who does radio on the I Declare show, when she brings her real raw and right now, you could hear it in her voice. You won't even have to see her. 
But when when Irami is trying to make his point before he gets in front of the camera, I'm saying, what's he saying? What's he saying? <laughs> so we wish you, you and Irami, uh, much success. We are so proud of you. You are still an Our Common Ground interlocutor, and you'll be back on here on issues, and maybe we can network some issues that you're dealing with. Yvette, you got time to take one more call. I know that Jay wants to talk to you, and, you know, Jay won't talk to everybody. Okay, okay. Okay, last one. Thank you. Hey, 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 listen. Good evening to both of you beautiful African women. Hey, Yvette, I want to tell you, I enjoy so much your Facebook page when you get all these clouds who want to question you. It's nothing better than watching a person get done up and get a nice, <laughs> beautiful wig snack. You know what I mean? That's what you got to do. You got to just snatch their wigs every chance you get and keep them in line because they need to respect who you are and what you say because, honestly, I think you pretty, pretty honest and on point 90% of the time. But really what I'm calling that I want to ask both of your good sisters is this, and this is real. It seems that more and more that Trump does what he does, it shows that he doesn't know what he's doing. The question becomes this, knowing that he doesn't know what he's doing, what are we going to do? Because, you know, so far the black leadership supposedly all they're talking about doing is marching. I need to do something else other than march because, you know, I don't want to hurt my feet, honestly. So, I mean, what what can we really, really do at this stage of the game? Because this is going to be the most corrupt administration in the history of the United States if he's allowed to interchange his businesses with the White House and foreign affairs. <laughs> I, I, it can't be that deep of a question, Queen. I mean, there's nothing. I'm not going to knock it out. Man, listen, I, I'm not. Listen, listen I, I'm going to say something that people are not going to like. But I mean, in terms of corruption, that first of all, that's nothing I can't control. And second of all, I, I think I think I think America. I mean, I think that's I think that's the way empires roll. I mean, there's nothing stopping him. He's he's not gonna run it like 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 hand in hand. But he has kids and he has people. There's nothing stopping him from in the middle of a day saying, "Hey, how's this project going? You need to do this. You need to reach out to this person and do this." I mean, I I think that's a given. I mean, it's nothing that I'm really going. It's nothing that I'm going like among the things I'm I'm going to think about and 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 try to wrap my head around. That's not that's not one of them. Okay, so the question is, what do we do to address the things that he's gonna do? Basically, knowing that he doesn't know how to govern, and you got all of these other whack jobs now in the position of messing with Social Security, Medicaid, and all these other safety nets that honestly hurt white people more than they do. I think the first thing you need to do is is, is remind Donald Trump that he that he promised during debate that he wouldn't that he wouldn't change Social Security. He went further than Hillary Clinton did in, in saying that I'm not going to do this. So I think the first thing to do is say, Hey, remember when you said this? 
You said you wouldn't touch this. Let's let's stay on that road. Let's not let's not change. Let's not veer off that road. I think that's the first thing you do. But the first thing I like black people to do is to get out the way. Like like here's the thing. I don't understand. We have to organize around our agenda. So we need to get somewhere and start talking about what our agenda looks like. I don't need to see black people rallying in the street. I want you. I, I think we should be behind closed doors right now talking to each other. And I'll tell you something else. I'm tired of I'm tired of us always being the lead. Every time we have a president or any kind of administration that we that we have problem with or or, or, or foresee we will have a problem, we're the first ones in the street. No, if you believe that that Donald Trump that his that his staff has a problem with everybody that we're being told he has a problem with, has a problem with feminists, he has a problem with the LGBT community. We're being told that Steve Bannon and all these people have these. You know, this is what it is. Well, y'all go first, and let us sit back here and figure our stuff out and how we're going to strategize. But y'all get in the fight first. How about you? you, you, you no, you just head, you just you just take the main flank. You 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 charge. You like the Marines, and we'll be the army. Like that's what I, I I'm just so I think I think that we should be strategic in terms of looking at he's laying out his cabinet right now. So looking at what his cabinet looks like and saying, okay. These are these are the priorities that Trump may have that are going to that are going to you know be be the worst. Like go from the worst. Which ones are going to be the worst that we think they're going to be for African Americans in this country? And organize around uh, organize around that top five. Yeah, I, I I have I have to agree with you. But one of the things, Jay, that I think is that we have got to understand how your government works. There are many opportunities for this administration to really disrupt and to destroy gains that have been made in education, gains that have been made in housing and fair housing, and equal employment. I mean, we have got to we've got to learn how the government works. We've got to learn what some of the laws and we're going to be talking about that with Pascal next week, but uh I'm going to be taking a whole show where we're going to have a civics lesson. Yeah, but people need to understand that strategically the thing to do is to weaken this administration. And how they can't dismantle as fast as we can use what's in place and preserve. There are some things that they're going to try to destroy, especially in, this, especially in the Justice Department and the FBI. Um, they've got alliances that we've got to fracture. Yeah, but BJ, I don't, but BJ, let me say this to you. I don't have no problem with whatever they do in the educational system. I don't have no real problem with whatever they do in the housing. Um, As far as the DOJ, the DOJ ain't did a damn thing for black people in the last eight years. So what makes you think? This is why we have to have the civics lesson. No, let me, let me tell you. Okay. This is why we have to have the civics lesson. Because there is a lot of harm that can come as a result of this administration deregulatory action. 
actions that they can take that can that can just simply destroy things that are helpful to us. I'll give you an example. The Republicans have wanted to dismantle public housing in this country for decades. There is a regulation in place right now which allows private developers to come in and and buy using federal funds by public housing developments. Now, what do you think is going to happen when that happens? Yeah, but but the question the question becomes, in all honesty, BJ, those things are happening subliminally already in certain cities. The thing is that most cities are the ones who are now having more of a control and the say-so in regards to housing because basically all of these new deals now in regards to housing is based on bonds, tax um, benefits, and all other things to these developers. But, you know, I understand what you're saying, but the point of the matter is we got to catch hell before it could get any any better for us, like Yvette said. And on top of that, BJ, we need to do what Yvette just said. Ron Daniels wait, just had a, a conference, and what happened? I, What's the feedback from it? And, and you know, and my question is, and Ron Daniels is a very dear friend of mine, I was the chair of his campaign when he ran for president um, and because he wanted to try to create a black independent political party uh but but here's the deal some of the government regulations that are going to get dismantled and and we can really talk about this more in a special that 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 I'm going to do with Dr. Taylor and Dr. Wilma Leon uh and and one government official who will remain anonymous but one of the things that there are some safeguards in some of these regulations. And the first thing they're going to do is to take, is to pull the trigger on the safeguards. I'll give you a good example. Most people think that the Voting Rights Act was, dis, was totally gutted. It was not. The only thing that changed in the Voting Rights Act by the Supreme Court was the, uh, the accountability portion where the states, when they changed their voting laws, had to get them passed by the Department of Justice. But when you see the Civil Rights Division of the Justice Department going to, going to crap and going down to five people, and the Civil Rights Division at Health and Human, uh, Health and Human Services being dismantled, and the Civil Rights Division at at uh, Housing and Urban Development being dismantled, and all of the regulations which which contain the safeguards for black people, that's when you will know the damage, and that's what we have to go through. And I am convinced, I don't know about Yvette, but I am convinced that the thing to do is that if you have, if you, you know, I'm a gardener. 
and in my gardening experience, I have come across huge boulders underneath the soil where I wanted to, where I was digging and had to take them out. I mean, huge, where I had to hire, one, I had to hire two people to help me pull the boulder out of the ground with uh, some tools. And I'm not talking about something you could hold, you could, you could, you could hold. And I think that one of the things that we have to do is dig underneath and make weak what is above. And we have to do it strategically, we have to do it methodically, and we have to start, and, and our plan, if we didn't have the kind of blackness leadership that we have, the plans would already be in place. So what we've got to do is transform the way in which. And the other thing is we've got to start thinking about very people who, our people who are in poverty. You know, we're always, you know, we've got to think about the working poor. So it's a lot of work to do, and, and I don't disagree with you, but I, I just simply want to to add that we have to know how it works before we can address what we need and can do. Yvette Carnell, Jay, thank you for your call, and we'll stay on it. You know we will. Yvette Carnell, thank you so much for joining us, and I hope that everyone no will will join Yvette and Irami Osei from Pong in their new talk and call-in show, BreakingBrown.com, which broadcasts live each Monday and Wednesday at 9 p.m. You can also catch it on Facebook if you go to Yvette Carnell or if you go to Irami Osei from Pong is right there on Facebook or go to the breakingbrown.com YouTube station. So, uh, you know, you 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 all are doing it. And I'm Thank just you. so proud to have been a little part, you know, I would have preferred you all to come and do it on my network, but I understand. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't own no truth. <laughs> crazy. I just own this little piece of piece of piece of broadcasting thing where we can we can we can transform truth to power one broadcast at a time. Yvette, thanks so much, All right. and you have a good thank weekend. Thank you, thank you, Janice. You too. Bye bye. And I want to thank all of you for for being with us. And there there we have it. Um, we're hoping that Alpha of the Alpha Show uh, will be back with us on TruthWorks Network as soon as possible. But tonight we were talking with Yvette Cornell. I don't want, I don't know what the hell happened to Orami, but he's got little children and stuff, and little children and stuff get in your way. We're gonna take a no, we don't have time to take a, a, a break. But we do want to t tell you that Pascal Robert will be with us next Saturday night here at Our Common Ground. Coming up, Bob Law, my radio mentor, and we're going to be talking about politics and media. And um, 
what's that other man's name? Oh, <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, right before uh, the the new year, we're going to be joined by <clears throat> Dr. Wilma Leon of uh, Inside the Issues on XM Radio and Dr. James Taylor. And we're going to be doing, um, we had talked about doing maybe three days, three nights ongoing, like Friday night, Saturday night, and Sunday night, uh, to do this civics thing, because I think it's going to be very important uh, for us to be ready uh, to act. And And Jay is absolutely right. It's not going to be in the form of marching. That's that's not going to be, uh, it'll be symbolic, but it's not going to change anything. The other thing I would like to ask you all to uh, stay prayerful about what is happening at the North Dakota pipeline protests. And if anyone has ever had any question about whether or not there is domestic terrorism in this country. I think that the way in which the government and the company that is building this pipeline, the invasion of both sacred and contractual land to the original indigenous people of this country would the question. The other is, and I'm glad that Max and Yvette brought it up tonight, that there is still no safe water for the children and the citizens of Flint, Michigan. Uh, I have been very, very um, pleased to... um, have three friends who have been who are white who have been able to shrug off their privilege enough to be able to see through what is happening in this country in regard to the continuing repression and oppression of native people and black people and brown people and um, we are asking um, that we continue to talk to the people we work with. I'm very concerned with some of the people that I work with. I think that um, they are lost, and it is hard to work while black. So I I think we, we do have to be very careful um, in who in, in identifying who are our allies and to the extent that our allies can service us. Tonight we're going out uh, on what I think is a very important message uh, from the... Um, one of the people that made independent black talk radio real and and valid in some of the 
uh, on some of the points that were made tonight in talking with Yvette Carnell. Thank you so much for being with us tonight, and we hope that you'll be here every Saturday night because I'm Janice Graham, this is Our Common Ground, and I'll be listening for you. Making progress. Black people are at the losing end of the racial gap. Black people have the highest unemployment, the lowest median family income, the highest debt, the lowest graduation rate from public schools, the highest incarceration rate, and it goes on and on and on. So that you, you, at one point you have to say, we need to pause for a minute and look at what is really happening to our people. And we need to kind of get our ducks in a row. And by that, that's what I meant by let's get serious. Let's, let's stop playing. You know, let's, let's stop celebrating symbolic victories. Emma Calca Brown, I believe it was, who said claim no easy victories. We need to stop claiming these easy victories that are not victories at all. You know, we look at uh, in the article, in, in 1960, there were 103 black elected officials throughout the nation. By 1990, that number had grown to 9,000. But as you, all the social comfort indicators show that the political and economic status of African Americans continues to, to decline. We, we, and at the same time, we have more black elected officials than ever, but we require nothing of them other than that they get elected to office. See, for black people, getting elected to office has been the goal. And, and uh, we celebrate being the first black somewhere. You know, we celebrate being the first black president of uh, the McDonald's organization, the first black president of American Express, the first black or that there is a black president of uh, AOL. There's a black president, as I say, of McDonald's. There's a black president of the United States. There's a black borough president in Brooklyn. And the supporters of the black borough president in Brooklyn simply point out that the, the black borough president has made history by becoming the first black borough president of Brooklyn. See, if you get serious, you will say that being the first black president of the borough of Brooklyn means absolutely nothing. That Amen. The, the, being the first black, so what? There have been black borough presidents in Manhattan. Black borough presidents have existed since the early 60s with Hugh and Jack. You know, the Democratic machine gives the, black, the borough presidency to Hugh and Jack, Percy Sutton, C. Virginia Fields, Helen Marshall, this is not the first black borough president. It's just the first black borough president in Brooklyn. Means the, to be the first in Brooklyn is meaningless. What we need is that's not what you celebrate, the being the first. Because, see, by celebrating being the first, then black people are emotionally gratified simply by the fact that a brother has been appointed, if not elected, but really appointed borough president of Brooklyn. And that you want to go back? Then go. I ain't ready to give up yet. My plan works. Funny thing about plans, they always changing. <laughs> Do whatever it takes to get her free. 
thank you so much for joining us on Our Common Ground tonight. We'll be right here next Saturday night, 10 p.m., with our friend, the respectable Negro, Chauncey DeVega. We hope you'll join us. And don't forget, subscribe to us on Facebook. Follow us at JaniceOCG on Twitter. Like us all over the place. I'm Janice Grant, and I'll be listening for you.